Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today my guest is Joshua Wilson. Joshua was born and raised in West Philadelphia and attended college at the University of Central Florida in Orlando, where he found his passion for basketball officiating. He dropped out of college to pursue his dream of being an NBA referee. He has achieved that goal and now works in the NBA G League. However, today's conversation is not about the NBA. Joshua will share with us how his newfound focus in real estate entrepreneurship led him to a path to serving those in need. Soon after starting investing in real estate, he achieved Airbnb Superhost Ambassador status. But then Joshua and his partner found a way to serve individuals and providers who truly deserved to be served better. Working with his partner, he turned their real estate lessons learned toward the world of assisted living. He is now an owner and operator of a 24-hour medical group home servicing individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. They are starting small, but their impact is far from small. This is an area I personally don't know much about, but it is an area that I recognize needs a lot of focused, well-intentioned help. And I believe Joshua and his partner are doing the work. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And now, Joshua Wilson. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. How are you today? Terribly well, as always, my friend. Terribly well is good. I like that. I like that a lot. So I am very, very happy that you agreed to be on this podcast. Um, your story, I found it quite interesting and quite compelling. So why don't we take the next few minutes and tell the audience, who are you and how did you arrive at doing what you're doing right now with this very interesting topic? Well, who I am is someone that met you at a birthday celebration for a neighbor, and we had tremendous conversation over watermelon and curry chicken. <laughs> and what I find is that food brings people together, celebrations of life bring people together, and community brings people together, and that's what everything's all about. Um, for me, I love living in this community. Uh, meeting you was outstanding. And furthering my goals in my life um, has been possible because of the focus on just people. That's something that I'm realizing is a superpower of mine that I've somewhat neglected throughout the years. Uh, and that's important because, you know, asking what I do, I referee basketball. So I'm a G League official. I work for the NBA and the NBA G League, and you know, becoming a full-time NBA referee is my life's goal. That's my passion project, something I've been pursuing since I was a young child <laughs> in um, middle school, high school. I went to a uh, local YMCA in my community and you know, just played basketball after school. And you know, as I was going to um, college, I needed to earn some additional money and the high school official at the gym that I trained at was like, hey, you know, you can make some extra money refereeing basketball. And that's pretty much how everybody gets started as an official, you know, trying to make some extra 
income. And so I went to the University of Central Florida. Uh, they are basically the Harvard Law when it comes to sports officiating, be it baseball, football, basketball, soccer, doesn't matter. Um, outstanding training program and outstanding group of people. And so in being in that environment with people succeeding at the highest levels um, and seeing that I could succeed too, you know, that's what I did. I put my head down and paved my path forward with the community of individuals that were highly successful um, and here I am today. Fantastic, fantastic. So how long have you been doing that now? Um, this will be my eighth year in the G League. Yeah, I started, I got hired back in 2016 and it's been a blessing. I get to, you know, travel around the world, um, take my mother on her favorite beach destination vacations uh, every year and just spend time with the people I love, all because of the game of basketball, something I had uh, never thought was possible. Um, but currently, you know, the reason why we're here today is because of other endeavors that I'm um, pursuing. And my pursuit of my passion in basketball has only been expanded and empowered and just bettered because of, you know, the exploration of other avenues um, professionally, um, entrepreneurially, that uh, I needed because, you know, basketball was the one and only for me. I actually dropped out of college to pursue this path. And um, it's funny, I was watching a video yesterday uh, on a channel and a gentleman was saying, you know, it's not possible to have success in a balanced life. And my first reaction to that was one of disagreement um, because, you know, one, we have to f define what success is, right? And I find that at the different phases of life that we're at, you know, where we are today is where we once wanted to be. And that's true for everyone. Um, and if there's anyone who disagrees with that, then they're being too hard on themselves um, and they're not, you know, reaping the fruits of their labor. Like, you have to respect the work um, and be balanced in how you see yourself, you know. Uh, and the person that you want to be tomorrow is attainable, but, you know, I find that this corporate consumer culture that we have here in America, and don't get me wrong, capitalism is a beautiful thing. I love it. But we are constantly inundated with consumption and just the pursuit of more. Uh, and we're unable to be grateful for the gains that we have in our present. And so I say all that to say um, exploring my entrepreneurial journey has really helped me solidify myself in just being okay with my passion, which is basketball, being whatever it may be, right? And um, being there because I want to be there, not because I need to be there, right? Uh, the entrepreneurial component, real estate investing, the Airbnb, assisted living, group home stuff, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, all of that has just helped me better connect, reconnect with my passion. Because when I needed to be there and financially I was tied to being there, it poisoned my passion, you know, and my pursuit was one that was weighing on me because every decision, every phone call, every outcome is just all the more quantified and magnified, and I didn't want that. 
And so I had this turbulent time, and now I'm back to being a healthier version of myself because I've had a more balanced approach in my pursuit. And so now I honor the success that I've had. You know, There's only 65 of us in the G League. There's only, I want to say, 65, 70 in the NBA. They evaluate two, 3,000 people every year just to bring them to uh, the scouting program. And they may only select 200, right? And those 200 are coming for my job, <laughs> right? And I want to see them succeed because I was once in their shoes, you know? Um, their success is not my loss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't give myself the credibility in my own success because I was a one-track mind in pursuit of the goal and developing myself, you know, reconnecting with community, with uh, the people along my path has really just helped me continue to grow and, like I said, attain success and live a balanced life. So that's very interesting. So it's funny you mentioned, you know, capitalism. I was here a few weeks ago uh, a recording with Joe Desena from Spartan Group, and uh, we had a very similar conversation in the sense that we're both, you know, capitalists. You know, we, we agree that it is the best socioeconomic system invented so far. There, there's nothing out there that's better. But um, it, it comes with certain bugs, if you will. Right? Because as humans, we're imperfect, so a, a system defi- designed by humans is going to have some imperfections. right? And one of those is the fact that some people get left behind. And that leads into the topic that you know, we, we want to discuss, which is this topic of you know, assisted living. Assisted living today, in my mind, is one of those areas that somehow keeps getting left behind in the most successful society known to mankind in history. And those two don't go together very well. How can we be, how can we be as wealthy as we are as a country, as an economy, as a group of people, and yet our elders, or maybe sometimes they're not necessarily elders, just people that have you know, special needs, mm-hmm. right, are not taken care of in a way that is commensurate with the level of wealth we have. So you uh, have come up with a creative way, not only to care for those who are in need of assist- assisted living, but also create a model where those providing that assisted living can make a good, dignified income while doing what they love to do. Tell me more about that. Well, first, I want to say I didn't come up with it. My partner did, so I can't Perfect. take all the credit. <laughs> That's great. That's all you know, good. Uh, I just had to be fortunate. I, I had the fortune, the good fortune, of you know, being able to say yes and move forward. And the reason why it was a no-brainer for me was because of my past experience being a substitute teacher, and I primarily focused on working with the intellectual and developmental disabled population that um, we have in our elementary, middle, and high schools here in Central Florida. And um, just the time that I got to spend with them, you know, I learned not only so much about them and how they are, you know, just an incredible group that we overlook in our society, but I got to learn about myself, you know, and um, 
that was priceless. And so that experience, you know, gave me the confidence to say, okay, we have something here. And when you couple our investing background and how, you know, we primarily focused on Airbnb and short-term rentals and how that's a huge hospitality business where you've really got to deliver a quality product to set yourself aside because, you know, when you look at the market today, there's tons of competition, you know, um, average nights booked have gone down. So there's a lot of uh, turmoil in the short-term space and um, quality is what will reign supreme. You know, we're going through a re-rating right now and there are a lot of operators that are struggling, right? And so we've been just fine. You know, our annual revenue is right on par with what it was prior to this influx of competition. And I'm confident that moving forward, it will be great. Uh, the reason why we pivoted into the assisted living and group home space was because of the regulatory environment that is increasingly um, difficult. You know, just yesterday, Florence, Italy, I believe, passed a moratorium on new short-term rental permits uh, applications. Um, New York, a couple weeks ago, just, you know, changed a lot of their rules and basically killed Airbnbs um, in the state. And so we got into this new space saying, all right, you know, how can we expand our margins? How can we grow our business? How can we offer a quality product and bring that hospitality background and the service aspect? Because a lot of people that got into Airbnb were just, you know, buying stuff off of Amazon that, you know, can break (laughs) and Mm -hmm. is not quality. Like we, we furnish our properties with restoration hardware quality products because that's what we want, right? That's what the level of service that we require. And so going into this assisted living space and to your point about, you know, the neglected groups that get left behind in our society, we saw an opportunity to, you know, stand apart in providing a service that everyone should have the ability to experience. Uh, And so when you visit, you know, a lot of assisted living facilities or group homes, you know, things smell like medical care properties, and that that can be very off-putting. Like, we want a spot that um, individuals whose loved ones are being cared for by us can, you know, come and visit and take pride in the service that they're, and the care that their loved ones are receiving. And so... Um, I don't have a medical background. My partner didn't have a medical background, but we knew that that was the most important part because we offer 24-hour nursing services. And so we had to connect with individuals that had experience in the space and had the passion for the care um, to make sure that we were driving positive health outcomes. And so we found that team, and it's been quite the journey to today. Uh, But to the point of, you know, left behind populations in our society, it's a choice that we make, unfortunately. Um, And we have to face the fact that, yes, capitalism is outstanding and competition does breed growth and it's empowering, right? Um, However, as we have things structured, it's unsustainable uh, because that pursuit of more is, it's not only detrimental to certain groups, but it's detrimental to ourselves. You know, when we look at 
hyper competitive individuals like say Michael Phelps who you know is the greatest Olympian of all time Simone Biles may come for him but uh, he went through about a depression after his career ended right and he undoubtedly to be the best made sacrifices to get there and the competitive nature within him um, helped carry him to those accomplishments however once he got to the mountaintop, you know, you realize it's all about the journey. And, you know, putting on the blinders and being a horse just focused on the finish line, there's so much life around you uh, that sometimes it goes by the wayside. And I, would Michael Phelps trade all his gold medals for a different path? I'm sure he wouldn't, you know. Um, but it's just to our point about a balanced approach and succeeding, it is definitely possible. Well, so let's break that down a little bit for the audience here. So the I think pretty much everybody is familiar with the status quo of assisted living, right? You know, we all know someone, a loved one or a neighbor who had to transition from what we call, quote unquote, a normal life yeah. and go into some sort of assisted living facility. Uh, we've all experienced different levels uh, from, you know, you know, state-run or government-run to private, right? And they all have, you know, their pros and cons. How do you, can you break down what is, you know, the model that you and your team, your partner and your and the team that you put together, what does that look like from two points of view, from the point of view of the person receiving the assisted care? Yeah but also from the point of view of the person delivering the assisted care. Well, what are the big, so there's three and three, three differences, you know, it's just three thoughts on, right? So three, three big things that the person receiving the care can immediately tell okay. about this model and three differences that the person delivering the care can immediately know. Well, it's, it's rather simple on its face. Um, as an individual receiving the care, you're getting practically one-on-one -on -one time. You know, we operate in the residential assisted living care space, right? And so the building code, fire code here in the county, uh, Orange County, um, is what we have to go by. So we can have no more than five patients in our properties, whereas in, say, Seminole County, neighboring county, you can do six. Um, and so that sheer scale difference in and of itself is one, as a patient receiving care, if you're at a larger institution, you know, your service staff, be it a CNA or a, um, a health aide or LPN nurse or what have you, they're responsible for one for 15 to 20 patients at a time in one shift. And so when we talk about, you know, delivering quality health outcomes and avoiding bed sores and, you know, having proper delivery of medication and avoiding errors in um, that administration, you know, these things are highly more likely to occur the larger scale facility that um, you're at. And so when you're in the s smaller residential setting, you know, you've got a one to four, one to five patient ratio from service provider to patient. And so that allows for relationships to be built and, you know, a culture of a space to be more healthy uh, because you don't have, you know, staff members running around um, and 
issues transpiring with patients, you know, being overlooked and left untended to. And so I think that answers uh, from both sides as, as a patient and also as a, an operator. You know, uh, the scale, 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 grow, 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 more, more, more that we were just talking about, it's not necessary to do well while doing well or do good while doing good. You know, there's a guy who I love who in my investing journey has really um, allowed me to take confidence in the pace of my process of moving along my path. Uh, His name's Chad Carson, and his whole philosophy is small but mighty. You know, it's like you can define what enough is for you. You know, uh, do you want to have another job? Like, do you need to erect this multinational conglomerate (laughs) company? Like, is that really what it's all about for you? I mean, if so, then ask yourself why. You know, I find that a lot of people who are seeking that more and more, it's about pride. And pride is the devil. (laughs) You know, the ego will be the death of us. Um... And at the end of the day, what do you really need? What, what is your time really worth? You know, I can't place a dollar amount on my time because having conversations like this with you, being able to wake up and look at the lake and the clouds float by and the birds in the sky and walk my dog and go to the gym whenever I want to and go on whatever vacation I want to whenever I want to, those things matter more to me, you know? Being able to go to dance recitals and see my nieces and um, go to football games with my nephews and just spending all that time, that's what matters. Uh, And in the small but mighty approach that has helped me, you know, transition along my path with more confidence and security and not have that comparison being the thief of all joy and looking at, you know, others who have larger scale operations and who have, you know, more assets under management and are these multi-million, multi-billion dollar earners. Like, what is it all for? (laughs) At the end of the day, um, I'm having a huge impact in my community by providing quality care to the members of my community. Um, you know, we I, we got to send a photo to the one of the parents of our patients of her son outside for the first time ever in his adult life, and she's never seen him outside of the home. But he was at a larger facility, and again, when you're at larger facilities, the relationship is it's it's not the best. I'm not going to say it's poor, but it could be better. And we right. want to offer a better product. And I think that at the smaller scale. You really have the chance to do that, and the returns are there. So let me throw a couple of things at you and see if you just keep me honest, make sure that I'm, I'm grasping the model here. Because a scale, you, you, you can scale horizontally or you can scale vertically, right? So it seems to me that as long as the community allows from a regulatory point of view, that this could actually still scale in, oh. a, in the sense of having multiple homes, you know, per square mile, Mm -hmm. each home having four to five to six uh, patients being cared for, that nothing says that this couldn't grow enough that the community is being served 
you know, adequately, right? And while keeping the business model working, you know, so the financials all work just fine. Um, what does that do for the, it also seems, let me actually back up, it also seems like from the point of view of a, of a, of a care taker, right? Uh, the ratio obviously is, is huge. And that, that's in, in any type of, of service industry, right? Uh, whether it's this or schools, you know, teacher-student ratio. I mean, that's a huge thing. But are there any other intangibles? You know, does, does, does that then allow for the caretaker to feel better? Without a doubt. About what they're doing? You know, are the hours more bearable? Is the quality of the time from their point of view... Because I've seen these facilities. These people are doing the best they can, but they're tired. Mm. And just like nurses in hospitals, you know, you don't become a nurse to make money. You can become a nurse because you love caring for people, right? But after 12 hours, day in and day out, that gets, you know, you start paying a physical and mental toll. It seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that with the model that you guys have put together... The caretakers, either they have better quality hours or better hours overall, or maybe a little bit of both. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, Absolutely. So to your first point about scale vertically versus horizontally, you know, yes, that is our goal to scale horizontally. We do have multiple properties. Um, and here in the county, you cannot have a property or facility within a thousand feet of another one. And so that is the geographic component to our being able to expand. Uh, we already have the, the single family properties to do this. And so that is why we were like, okay, um, this, this, this should work. Uh, to your point about, you know, the caretakers and their buy-in to the business and whether or not this is something that is, um, going to be better for them as opposed to working in a hospital, hands down, yes, <laughs> it is better. Uh, the shift structure depends on what you decide to have for a home. And what our goal is, is to work in partnership with our staff. You know, we're looking at not only servicing the patient populations that we're focusing on, but servicing the team that we build, right? Uh, we have a young lady who was driving down from Daytona Beach to work for us in Orlando. That's quite a way. That's a long way. Yeah. We assisted her in relocating to Sanford, closer to where she wanted to be, right? So we help our people solve problems because they help us solve problems, right? She's in school to be an LPN, right? Um, she's from Brazil. She already had her nursing degree in Brazil, but when you come to America, they knock you down. And so we're helping to support her through that process of being in school. And once she's out of school, the goal is to then, you know, have her run one of the expanded homes. And in so doing, with the margins as they are, we can have more staff members so that if they want to switch from 12-hour shifts to 10-hour shifts to 8-hour shifts or what have you, you know, we can have a more rested and more engaged staff but you know the nursing population sometimes they only like the 12s because you know I got my three days a week and, and, I, and I'm good you know so we want to provide flexibility to our staff you know and that's just one staff member we have we have another staff member we actually have 
two other staff members that are currently finishing school. And so we like to work with our staff and show them that, you know, you can be an entrepreneur and we want you to grow and expand and explore uh, yourself in the different ways. We're not like, we don't own you, you know. We, we want to work together and build a family culture so that way uh, we can have longer tenure with our staff. And as you know, having worked in corporate America for a long time, you know, it's a pain in the butt to hire and to get quality pieces and to keep them, them, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're already thinking how to keep our staff, how to engage our staff, how to grow with our staff, um, because they are replaceable, but it's more costly to do so, <laughs> you know, to train um, new members, to bring them on and see if they fit the culture, see if they have the right personality and they're aligned in the vision. Um, that's something that you don't want to do too many times, you know. Right. And so for the staff and the vision that we have in expanding our business, you know, we've got a great group. We've started off very slow because we wanted to be staff focused first, not just go out there and chase every dollar that we can. And we've got a great team and I'm really excited for what's to come. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about the, the, the patients, right? So you mentioned an example of a, of a, a relatively young man that's, that's in one of your, one of your facilities. Um, how do you go about offering the, the service? The reason why I ask is because people think of, at least I think, you know, when, when I think of assisted living, immediately in my mind comes older people. Mm-hmm. However, we know that that's not true. That's a bias that we have, right, or at least that I have. Uh, assisted living is basically anyone who need, needs some sort of help. Um, what is the breakdown? Uh, as far as age groups and, and needs yeah. of the of the patients that you have, and is that expanding? You know, as you go, uh, let's let's get into a, a little bit of. It's that. very convoluted if you don't know, and I am still learning. So I will share what I've learned to date. Right uh, here in the state of Florida, and every state is different, right? Because. Um, we are patchwork. <laughs> so here in the state of Florida, we have two governing bodies. We have the Agency for Persons with Disability, and we have the Agency for Healthcare Administration, right? Um, both operate in similar ways, but the Agency for Healthcare Administration has a broader reach in the patient population that you can serve, whereas the Agency for Persons with Disability, individuals are diagnosed with intellectual and developmental disabilities prior to the age of 18. That's their criteria. Um, the Agency for Healthcare Administration, you can service in the assisted living facility setting. Not only do you service, you know, um, memory care and elder support individuals, but you can service um, individuals that would, individuals that were diagnosed with disabilities after the age of eighteen, like so, say your car accidents um, and what have you. Um, you can service military veterans. You can do sober living. There's so many other different individuals that you can provide care for under the Agency for Healthcare Administration, and that would be going through getting a home health care agency license and going down that path. Uh, one thing to take into consideration is like where funding sources are coming from. So with the Agency for Persons with Disability and uh, 
ACA, which is the Agency for Healthcare Administration. Um, you work with Medicaid and Medicare, but there are other um, funding sources uh, for patients. So the three questions to ask are, what are their funding sources? When were they diagnosed? And what were they diagnosed with? And that is how you can navigate who can be served. And so we have a medical group home, and there are still ways, even though we are licensed under APD, and I told you that their primary patient population had to have been diagnosed prior to the age of 18, there are still ways for us to um, negotiate with uh, insurers and communicate with the agency that we would like to petition them to open up bed space to service people outside of the qualifications that they have um, through their referral pool. So one of the ways that we get patients is through the Medicaid waiver, uh, and the agency is, you know, providing us those referrals through the waiver support coordinators that work for them at the different regional offices. Um, but you can also do private pay. There's, there's just so much there. Uh, and one thing that we're actually doing is gathering more information to provide more of those resources to individuals who are considering this line of uh, execution in the healthcare space because it is very, very uh, tight-lipped and um, for good reason. You know, here in Florida, we have had story after story, year after year, about Medicaid fraud and about just facilities, you know, neglecting patients. And it's a shame because it really takes away from the individuals that want to do it right. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we're providing more than just the monetary component that can be had because money's out there. You can make money doing anything. You can make money digging ditches, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think the purpose behind the path is what matters most. So in a given facility, are you allowed, or in, and if, if it is, is it recommended to have a mixed group of people with different types of assisted living needs? For example, you, you mentioned different categories. You may have somebody who's just elderly. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily have, you know, um, they, they, they didn't live their lives with a disability. They just became elderly and they just need the care. Mm -hmm. Versus something, you, you mentioned a sober living. You know, I'm a little bit familiar with that through a couple of, of, of very close friends. And now, yeah, and then you have groups of people that have some sort of disability that they have prior to the age of 18 or through some sort of accident. Is the idea that these can coexist within a particular home or, or is it otherwise? Certain segments, you know, like I wouldn't want to have a sober living situation paired with others. I would want to focus specifically there or um, say if you were going, interested in starting a facility for abused women, have you, you know, so like there are certain segments that need to remain um, siloed. Uh, but yes, you can have different structures in your facilities and service different patient populations without a doubt. So how does, how does someone that is listening and finds this fascinating says, you know what, I want to do this, never done it before, have some properties laying around through Orange County or Seminole County or wherever, where would they start? 
Well, I would start with getting a consultant um, because the details of this business is everything. You know, um, the liability is very high and you need to plan as best you can. And, and ex the experience of someone who has been in the business for however many years is going to be crucial to help you avoid the headaches that are out there. Uh, and so we worked with a lovely lady by the name of Kimberly Houston, uh, and her consulting firm is Logistique uh, Consulting. And she had over 20 years experience in the profession, worked for the Agency for Persons with Disability, worked for the Agency for Healthcare Administration, actually started, um, I believe, the Medicaid waiver process uh, and some other initiatives that are still in place today. And so she has a wealth of experience. There's also Empower Florida, which is a provider community coalition that advocates for uh, policy changes at the state level um, and is also highlighting some of the challenges that existing operators are facing and lobbying for um, continued investment in supporting what we do. Because uh, as you know, the state of Florida did not accept the Medicaid expansion through the Affordable Care Act. And so uh, when you consider um, the insurance climate that we have here with insurers leaving uh, the state, when you consider the rising wages that we have to pay staff and the inflationary effects all across the board, you know, the business model needs supporting, and Empower Florida does a great job of advocating and also educating um, operators. And so I would definitely check out those two resources. Fantastic. Well, we're almost out of time. What would you like to leave the listener with as far as lessons learned, uh, things that you've seen along the way that empower you to keep going down this path. This, this cannot possibly be easy. It is a lot of moving parts. You know, and anytime you get, you say Medicare, it, it becomes, that in itself is, it, it's its own domain, right? So what have been some of the lessons learned? What would you tell people that are out there, you know, other than what you've already shared, that, that may look at this as something that they may be interested in doing? And and why should anyone want to do this? I would say I'm a fairly young man, so I keep being told I'm 31, and I was an old egg baby. I was a late. I was. I was like a, a month late in the womb, and and everyone that I surround myself with in my life is like 10, 20, 30 years my senior. And I like to learn and listen. Um, and I would say seek counsel but don't seek advice because everyone's path is different. I know a lot of successful business operators that have crushed it in many ways and, you know, in their crushing it professionally, they may crush your dreams in the experience that they have had, but their experience is not the listener's experience, right? You have to go forward with the understanding that you can control your destiny. Uh, and so, yes, you may do something that a mentor, you know, advises against or has had a bad experience against, but you have to take that experience with a grain of salt and you have to evaluate 
rigorously whether or not you've done your due diligence um, and you can move forward and achieve the goals that you set out on. I don't have that answer for the listeners. That's something they have to seek out on their own. And so I would say that anybody can be successful at anything, uh, and you can too. Well, Joshua, thank you very much for your time. I look forward in five years (laughs) to see you in the NBA. And to have hundreds of properties taking care of people the way that people deserved to be cared for. I thought you said something that that I think is very important. You know, we talk about, you know, know, capitalism. And again, I I always, I'm very surgical about this because I never want to be misunderstood. It is the best system we've invented, period. But it's not perfect. And none of us got here alone. You know, some of the old folks that need care did things that enabled us to be where we are today. And it is up to us to do our part to take care of them, Amen. right? So I am I'm honored that, you know, to have met you um, because I think I was excited from the moment you told me about this because I think this is, this could be one of the elements in this social equation that allows us to get over that hump of leaving certain people behind. So I commend you for it, uh, and I look forward to hearing you succeed. I really appreciate you having me on. It means a lot, Um, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you.